Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Chill Time with Kelly. I am your host, Kelly, and we are in June right now. And it is freezing where I am. June should be summer, but where I am, it is so cold. And we just had a rainstorm as well on Friday. It was freezing. But to kick off today's episode, I have another amazing guest with me. Me, he is one of my former co-workers, and I will let you introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am a former worker, co-worker of Kelly's, and I am the host of the Overthinking blog. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I will be sharing his blog in the description box below. So, oh, Jonathan and I had this idea to collaborate on this podcast on based on one of his most recent blog posts about overthinking. So, Jonathan, um, I'm going to kick this off by asking you, why did you want to create a blog post about overthinking? I realized I wanted to create overthinking when I realized how much journaling I did because of all of the thoughts that were in my head and how helpful it was for helping me to oversee or organize my thoughts. At some point, I started journaling so much throughout time that I used it as a way to track my my thoughts over time. And I thought that that was very exciting for myself. Um, And I realized that, well, if learning from myself over time was very helpful um, in helping me grow as a person, mm-hmm. um, that maybe some of the things that I shared could add value to the people in my lives. And that's what got me thinking, well, if I overthink into my journal, then maybe I can overthink onto the internet. <laughs> um, and uh, that's where the idea came from. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy with it so far. That is really, really cool. So um, why overthinking specifically? Uh, there's this quote that I had um, heard. It's an anonymous quote that says, overthinking is a boon for those that use it in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's phenomenal because usually we think of overthinking as a bad thing. Um, the idea of it is not typically a good thing and it's something that I wanted to reframe mm-hmm. um, because maybe having lots of thoughts isn't a bad thing if you have some sort of organization for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can pick out the ones that are really useful and start to recognize patterns mm-hmm. and notice what kinds of thoughts serve you the best mm-hmm. and which ones don't serve you and to replicate the good thinking mm-hmm. over and over uh, and to create patterns. That is really cool. I didn't think of overthinking like that because I'm personally an overthinker as well. When I like, I I don't know, maybe it's because um, I'm also a scientist. Jonathan's also um, has a degree in um, biology, if I'm not mistaken. And so do I. So we are trained minds to think of trained overthinkers. Yes, we are very trained overthinkers to think of like (laughs) every single detail that could possibly go wrong. Because if you guys, um, um, have not been exposed to like science or like laboratory work in, in um, school or things. There is a reason that your certain things have gone wrong. Um, and then you have to figure out what you did wrong looking back on your 
protocols and everything to figure out what you did wrong. So I think that's where my overthinking stemmed. <laughs> stemmed from so i don't know do you think there's like a like um a borderline between healthy overthinking and unhealthy overthinking oh definitely i think it's almost like if your thoughts are a measure of um your progression mentally right um so it could be almost like the car that you're driving right mm -hmm. and it's like well if you were a good driver, you can get to a place very, very quickly mm -hmm. um, and, and safely. But yeah. you know, if you're, you're if you don't know how to drive, you're not going to be able to pilot the car to get it to the right mm -hmm. place on time or safely. Uh, so I think you know, it's a lot like miles per hour. Like mm -hmm. if you have the right core thoughts in your head that you can guide yourself out of like sticky situations, you can start to think of, well, like, how is this bad thing a good thing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you can start to reflect on um, other experiences that mm -hmm. might have been negative. You know, mm -hmm. you can start to reciprocate like mm -hmm. experiences that might have been positive that you yeah. wanted to see more of. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, eventually like it can get you where you want to go faster. Um, mm -hmm. that's the point of a brain. Um, <laughs> that's true. That is very true here. Uh, so there are definitely good, mm -hmm. um, ways to overthink. I think it, it's harder, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, it's a way of navigating the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think why we probably think of overthinking as a bad thing is because, it's almost like just kind of throwing everyone in a car when they turn 18 <clears throat> mm -hmm. because we have to we have to lead our own lives mm -hmm. <clears throat> we start to become responsible for the decisions that our parents mm -hmm. or family or other mentors have have had for us mm -hmm. and, or the schooling system has had for us mm -hmm. and when we're put in these scenarios mm -hmm. of the kind of chaotic situations of life and we have to make all these decisions for ourselves now yeah. <clears throat> how do we do that effectively if everyone else has been making decisions for us our whole lives? Mm -hmm. um, then we're going to have lots of thoughts and they're not probably not going to be great ones. Yeah. Um, and our decisions probably aren't going to be good ones immediately. Mm -hmm. um, but then eventually, hopefully, you would think enough to be able to make good decisions mm -hmm. to lead you to a place where you're like, I at least can think better than I did five, ten years ago. Mm -hmm. um, or at, at the very least, maybe you look back at who you were a year or two ago and you're like, wow, I think a lot better than I used to, mm -hmm. right? I, I've, I've grown up a lot mm -hmm. mentally and um, time mm -hmm. has been able to show that. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's, that's actually really, really cool to be hearing all of that, especially when it comes to your opinions on views on overthinking, because I feel like, People should not feel alone when it comes to overthinking. I feel like sometimes we feel like we are, feel so alone when it comes to overthinking because people perceive it as a bad thing. But it's something else when you've been like so, trained on it mm. for like a while. And if you haven't been trained on it, you, do, you have no idea what it means to like be so critical of like what you're physically doing and thinking. So... Speaking of um, science labs and biology that we were just talking about, how um, Jonathan, you used to work in a laboratory and now you do blogging as well. So what made you go from laboratory work to suddenly start blogging? Well, I think 
one of the things that I both enjoy but made it difficult to do in laboratory work. Um, vlogging's definitely not my full-time job mm. yet. Yet. <laughs> Maybe at some <laughs> yeah. point, who knows. Um, hopefully, hopefully never. It's a very fun mm-hmm. pastime mm-hmm. hobby. Um, <laughs> and what was interesting about being a scientist was being attached to the bench. Uh, so we're attached to a lot of our experiments mm-hmm. and um, we have a lot of time to ourselves. Like there's a lot of like, you know, loading the experiments and then like, you know, creating stuff. And it's a lot of hard work for a very short period of time. And then like, it, there's a lot of waiting for your experiments to be done depending on the type of automation and machines and things that are, that are working for you as well. Uh, but I think moving from uh, a place where I get to basically be a scientist mm-hmm. um, and do my experiments um, to come back uh, and have a role mm-hmm. where I'm more people facing uh, and I can communicate is something that I enjoy doing as well. So it's like, there's definitely that aspect of like, I love expressing myself in my chaotic scientific kind of way. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love with that. the same like two people and pet computer all the time. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's very nice to, to talk to people and to meet people and um, to uh, communicate mm-hmm. and express yourself in a way that other people can hear and I think that that's the fulfilling side of of the blog mm-hmm. that's awesome that is so so awesome and I actually I resonate with you so much on that because still I do I've been doing laboratory science experiment work for I would say on average five years at least five years so I totally totally get it and it's also sometimes in the laboratory I mean unless you feel unless you don't feel this way like I said and every single episode take what resonates but it sometimes can be kind of isolating in the laboratory especially when you're in there by yourself and then not having anyone to talk to yeah yeah I I think it like it Again, sometimes it's nice, depending yes. on your mood, right? Sometimes yes, exactly. sometimes it's nice. Sometimes you just want to be alone in your corner pipetting away. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like you're dispensing samples into a tube. Yes. Uh, but sometimes you really just want to connect with people and, yeah. and collaborate and do that. And th- there's a lot of that in science as well. Like mm-hmm. you've got your team and your... Um, your other scientists and uh, usually like uh, some sort of like lead scientist or director. And then yep. there's usually lots of meetings. Mm-hmm. Scientists can talk to um, <laughs> the scientists can talk a lot. If, if yeah. you ever um, are wondering why this person that I met is a scientist and they're so chatty, it's because they probably don't get to talk a lot in their, in their work or, you know, um, or about their, <laughs> about our jobs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think on average, on the day-to-day, the nine-to-five kind of thing, there isn't a majority of the work that you're doing isn't talking. A lot of it's mm-hmm. like focusing, doing calculations, figuring out numbers, things like that. Uh, but it, it can get like repetitive. You're seeing the same people, same people all the time. 
Um, <clears throat> you're talking about very similar things all the time. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, it might take like some months to get onto a new project or yeah. something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so it can get uh, dull. There are times where it yes. can get dull. There are times that running a, bro- a blog can be dull. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but what I think the the helpful part of like running a blog is like it can always be about anything. It, like you, if you don't like what you're writing about, you can just write about something else. Exactly, um, exactly. And I think that's the really cool thing about creative work. It's that you get like a good level of flexibility uh, to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I totally relate on that. That because that's exactly a thousand percent how I felt when I started my podcast. Because I felt like I was missing that element of like being creative. Which, yes, in the science work, you can be creative when creating your own projects and everything, and you can be creative in troubleshooting, like when your experiments go wrong. But when you want to be creative in like something else mm-hmm. other than science, because everyone has like multiple different personalities. <laughs> like Jonathan and I are not just scientists; we're way more than that. And that's kind of the element that I felt like I was missing. Saying so, that's why I want to start a podcast so I can be my own boss and then just create whatever I want. Like all these episodes you are hearing. I'm the main CEO and the person responsible for all the back end stuff, like recruiting people, coming up with the ideas, and then getting them on the podcast. Sometimes it's not easy. See, especially I've recorded podcasts with people on Zoom, and that was not easy because I had to find like a very quiet spot at work with perfect Wi-Fi so I could could talk to this person. And record really, really smoothly, and that was not easy either. So, but I definitely totally res- resonate with that as well. So, this is just a little um, maybe fun fact. So, yeah, Jonathan and I were coworkers, and we did museum education together. Was there like um um was did um not being in museum education anymore? Because in museum education, we talk to people. All the time, literally every single day, we talk to a different person all the time. Did you miss that aspect of it? It um, compared to being in laboratory work. Oh yeah, I think maybe even to an to an unhealthy extent, missing like just meeting like lots. You're just used to like meeting so many people every day. Like you could, we can have averages of like hundreds to like a thousand plus visitors a day in a museum and then you'd meet all of them sometimes yeah uh and so uh it, you quickly become good at uh interacting with new people and connecting with people very quickly mm-hmm. um you have this element in in scientists work of, of getting to know people very deeply yeah and uh that i think is useful and helpful and and really meaningful in it in itself and in in our work we got to meet our coworkers and to know them very deeply yeah. we just wouldn't meet our visitors and know them very deeply typically mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but i think yes having that newness and that experience of meeting somebody for the first time and mm-hmm. um really communicating that with them mm-hmm. how cool science can be mm-hmm. and how stem stem education is mm-hmm. uh and learning from them as well like i learned so much from mm-hmm. from the visitors that we had at the museum mm-hmm. that like i feel like in in at least the type of work that i was doing 
um, that I would learn a lot very quickly for a project and then there would be a period of time when I wasn't wasn't learning as much I was doing more executing mm-hmm. um, whereas if you're interacting with people you're just learning all the time and yeah. constantly whether you want to or not mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah exactly so I think that that would be the main difference mm-hmm. um, and and I do and I do miss it a lot uh, <laughs> although I feel like what I'm doing now is a good way to do the things that the museum work taught me to do well. Yes. I agree. I 100% agree on that. Because I miss that aspect too. Mm-hmm. Just like constantly learning about people and just like talking to someone different every single day. Because it mm-hmm. feels like it gives you like that element of a personality yeah. that like you can easily get to know someone like super super fast mm-hmm. and then constantly learn new ways that they're doing something you could easily be like oh i never thought of to like think of doing this thing this way i always thought you could only do it this certain way so that's the aspect that i truly truly love um working in the museum and visitors and that's kind of like how i feel like like um in my world right now when i do lab work and i'm a podcast host mm-hmm. I feel like I can do the exact same thing. Like I'm talking to new people and I'm constantly learning on the creative aspect of it. Because especially when I do um, podcast ideas, when I'm brainstorming ideas, that creative mindset comes back. And it just feels so amazing to be able to have a creative mindset as well. Hell. Now, uh, uh, that that was really, really informative to like I get your side of things like with in terms of laboratory work and creative work because I feel like there's definitely may, people may not see it, but there's definitely a gap between being creative and being also like kind of feeling like you're isolated. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to bring out your creativeness unless as um, people listening um, out there can actually do it. I commend you. I just personally cannot do that. And yeah, I'm sure Jonathan like agrees with me on as well. It's hard Absolutely. to be. It's hard to be creative when you're so isolated, I um in the lab especially. Not by the way, we're not uh, saying bad things about laboratory work at all. It is extremely fun. Like we did it for years. Like we did it for years and years, years. So, so it is really fun, but. At the same time, there's art. You also have to keep in mind of your mental health when it comes to laboratory, being in the laboratory. Because for me personally, it's very mentally draining and isolating sometimes when I'm in the lab by myself, which happens way more than I would like. Definitely, there's a lot of burnout, mm-hmm. and your wrists get tired. Yes, exactly. And especially if you're working with dangerous substances and you're on edge. I, I haven't had the mispleasure of doing that. <laughs> I have. I work with um, deadly viruses that have no full-on cure right now. And I'm not going to get into that on this podcast because I try not to gross people out. I don't think I would post an episode about that. <laughs> So, uh, oh, um, yeah, that I'm actually going to start closing up this episode right now because this episode is getting super, super long. I, I, whenever I have guests, it always extends my episode length, but I love it. I really love it. It's never complaining. Thank you it's, so much. It's exciting. Oh, no, thank you for having me on. <laughs> All right, yes. Um, anything else you would want to say to the audience before we close this episode? Uh, you said you'd link a blog in the show notes mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I think that's really all I have to say for now. Okay, awesome, awesome. That's good, that is good. And so this is going to be the end of this episode of Chill Time with Kelly. I will see you guys next time.